0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast.
1: 4 weeks into Russia's invasion of Ukraine and we're starting to see what the long-term implications of this war looks like for trade. Sanctions by the US and allies on Russia's financial system have been tightening daily and while there is still a lot that is not covered by these restrictions, they have already set in motion a backlash against Russian crude from banks and buyers and shippers and everyone else in between. So while we can look at the numbers, we also have to be aware that a new factor is now shaping shipping markets. The force of public opinion is directly determining what is and isn't tradable. It's now abundantly clear to everyone. Unplugging Russia from the world economy is going to result in lasting disruption across all sectors. So for this week's edition of the podcast, I am once again pulling in the collective expertise of Lloyd's List's leading analysts, to offer their insight into how the markets are holding up in the face of war. The key areas are, of course, the two fundamental Fs of commodity markets, food and fuels. We've outlined the extent of the exposure in our reporting on lawyerslist.com, but for the benefit of non-subscribers, it's worth reminding our listeners this week that it's not just the headline concerns about oil and gas that we should be worried about. The Russian Federation and Ukraine are global players in the agri-food markets, amongst many other things. Together, the countries represent 53% of the share of global trade in sunflower oil and seeds. They represent 27% of the share of global trade in wheat. Russia is also a major global supplier of chemical products, including fertilizers, as well as metals and wood products and many other things besides. A quick note for our listeners before we get into the analysis on all of that, and we will, LloydsList and LloydsList Intelligence is covering market developments daily, and we're adding new tools to help subscribers manage the risk on this. On LloydsList.com, we've got a dedicated section of the website where we've been cutting through the noise to offer a daily market-leading blend of data-led analysis and market commentary. And on Lois List Intelligence, we've been verifying all maritime links to Russian-affiliated entities. That's to help ensure that our subscribers are able to screen counterparties and verify compliance. You can find out more by following the links at the top of LoisList.com. That's it for the plug. We're going to start this week's analysis by giving you a view on the energy implications. Michelle vesey Bockman, Lloyd's List's markets editor, has been tracking the fallout in the tanker sector. So I started the podcast this week by asking her for an update on the latest developments.
2: Well, unfortunately, Richard, um, it's a slow motion car crash for the tanker sector. Um, They've got the double whammy of COVID-led Chinese demand falling for oil, as well as the impact of Russian sanctions. And on the sidelines, you've got open interest in crude trading down because of a credit squeeze on commodity traders like Traffic Europe, VTOL, et cetera, who ship the cargoes that they want. So that's also leaving things very, very fluid in a bad way. So the International Energy Agency um, came out this week. They've said There's a prospect of large-scale disruptions to Russian oil production and it is threatening to create a global oil supply shock and the biggest supply crisis in decades. So let me give you some numbers. Based on the calculations that I've made on the um, energy agency's figures, about 40% of seaborne crude exports are going to be cut by April. Um, The picture fits like this. Total exports are 8 million barrels per day. Five million barrels per day of these exports are crude. Three million barrels per day are refined products like diesel. And so, of the 2.5 billion barrels million barrels per day in exports affected, about 1.5 million barrels per day will be crude, and 1 million barrels per day will be refined products. And this is going to affect the Aframax and the Suezmax sector. But can't they replace these barrels from somewhere else? Won't there be some trade recalibration and tonne mile demand? I don't think so. And we saw that when we had the cap in hand visit of Boris Johnson to the only countries that can lift production and help replace those Russian barrels. And that's Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And they decided that they're not going to help for now. That's going to keep crude prices high. And then that's going to lead to what I think is going to be a diesel disaster in Europe because diesel wholesale prices have risen at a faster pace than crude. And that's because Europe doesn't produce enough to meet demand and relies on Russian imports. Um, can the U.S. help? Maybe. But they have low inventories and they supply Latin America. So we won't be seeing MR, M, medium range tankers shipping that much diesel over to Europe from the U.S. Gulf to help out. Plus the cost of refining in Europe has gone up because of energy price rises, especially um, for refineries in Europe that can produce diesel. They have equipment that needs high priced feedstocks like natural gas gas to run. So if anything, they're going to be looking to maintain or reduce supply. And then, of course, that keeps prices high. We're looking at demand destruction. And then, of course, we add in the added complication of of COVID and supply chain logistics chaos that's happening in China. And after seven consecutive quarters of loss-making rates, unfortunately, this is another um, very, very bad um, interruption to any recovery for the tanker market. So um, I'm I'm full of bad news. I'm sorry, Richard.
1: And just talk to us very briefly about The self-sanctioning situation, because we've obviously seen a huge amount of headlines. Everybody is stepping away from having anything to do with Russia for fear of sanctions and the toxic reputation management issues apart from anything else. But realistically, we are still seeing tankers taking Russian trades, aren't we?
2: Yes we are there is a degree of self sanctioning some ship owners have come out and said that they won't um, undertake any further russian trading but there are a lot there are a lot more that that are um, i spoke to hafnia b w ceo today he's going to continue with russian business as is um, scorpio tankers both listed companies um, the the position taken by some ship owners and some traders is that um, this is essential to supply energy to europe and that they're providing a necessary service um it has affected port calls we're seeing reduced port calls and and bridget dyke and our data reporter will amplify that later on but we're definitely seeing sanctions self-sanctioning and COVID pummeling the tanker sector once again
1: okay Thank you, Michelle. Michelle Vesey-Bongman, our markets editor there. Um, Moving on to the dry bulk situation, Nida Baksh, our senior markets reporter, talking about the dry bulk side. Nida, a bit of a more mixed picture, I think, on on the dry bulk, but no less seismic. What's happening uh, in your beat?
3: Well, where do I start? Um, it's it's quite mixed um, at the moment. Uh, on the one hand, you've got people expecting an increase in ton miles, which will be quite beneficial to to rates. But on the other hand, um, there's some analysis out there which shows that the drop in expected volumes—this is actual volumes coming out of of Russia or Ukraine—will outweigh any increase in in distances which would actually lead to a net negative impact on rates, But the situation is, is still quite un- uncertain because we're just unsure how long this standoff is going to last. And many Balka owners are avoiding the Black Sea region over safety concerns and continued fears of retaliatory measures um, by Russia in, in sort of seizing foreign owned ships. And that uncertainty actually is reflected in the rates. Um, so we've seen a quite big volatility in the markets. Um, at the moment, CAPES and the Panamaxes and the Supermaxes are actually sliding a little bit um, after gains last week. But the handies seem to be holding up. And I think it's because the handies are so much more flexible in terms of the, the types of products that they can they can carry. I've been looking at some of the, the sort of trade flows in and out of the Black Sea. I mean, it doesn't look like there's anything that is coming out of uh, Ukraine at the moment. Um, but there seems to be maybe some small volumes being pushed by rail into Romania and Bulgaria in terms of in terms of grains. Um, and I have seen activity in and out of the Russian Black Sea port of Novorosssk, Um And that sort of port handles, you know, not just grains, but a, a multitude of products. So in terms of um, sort of commodity specific um, trades, if you look at coal, which is actually sort of the biggest in terms of volume, uh, Russia is the third largest exporter at about 170 to 180 million tonnes. But if you look at um, sort of, if you you sort of break it down, uh, a lot of the product moves from the far eastern ports, so it's unlikely to be, have a lot of impact over there. It's only like 20 million tonnes that comes out of the Black Sea ports, uh, a bit more coming out of the Baltic ports. Uh, A lot of it comes into Europe. Uh, with Europe being sort of one of the biggest buyers of Russian coal, um, it's likely they'll be reducing their their reliance on Russian energy. But that would kind of benefit the larger sized bulk carriers because there is definitely a shift in in trade flows. I mean, I've seen a um, a couple of cargos being fixed from Indonesia to Europe. I've seen a lot of fixtures for cape sizes carrying coal. From Australia to Europe, so that's obviously adding to to distances. I've also heard of uh, a number of sort of hefty premiums being paid. So I heard of a a supermax, um, you know, being booked from the CIS region um, to China at about eighty thousand dollars a day. I mean, the spot market rate is is about thirty. So you know, people who are willing to take sort of risks, you know, will will be benefiting from that. Um, But I think that one of the things that I I should mention is besides the immediate impact on grains coming out of the region, fertilisers are being impacted too. And that will likely affect the longer term grains market in the sense that, you know, how many other alternative suppliers are there uh, for grains and for fertilisers? And, you know, we could be, um, you know, seeing... uh, know a knock-on effect on on food prices perhaps even food shortages in some areas so it's it's looking particularly worrying for those two product groups Um, and we'll just have to see how things play out
1: thanks nita just moving quickly over to containers james baker our containers editor Um, what's what's been the impact there when we spoke two weeks ago when we first started these regular briefings. your view was that there was a limited impact in terms of containers because of the volumes coming out of the Black Sea on containers being being relatively small. Um, of course, since then, there's been some fairly dramatic changes to the market, but not in the Black Sea, of course.
4: Well, the Black Sea is very, you know, for, to all extents and purposes, that's closed off to container shipping. The, I mean, yeah, there's been a few developments over the last yeah, a couple of weeks. I mean, we've seen massive fall off in the number of box ships actually calling uh, into into Russian ports, as yeah, you know, it's basically container lines have stopped taking bookings, so there's nothing to go in there or come out of there. The number of calls at St. Petersburg and the Baltic and Vladivostok and the Russian Far East have pretty much halved in the last couple of weeks, um, and the the few calls that are going in there now are just mainly picking up empty containers we've talked about sanctions but earlier on Um, self-sanctioning one notable thing that's happened just last week we we mentioned two weeks ago that um mersk was finding itself in an unenviable position with its uh, investment in a major russian terminal operator um it has since announced that it's getting out of there because of the um Operational challenges and the um, and the situation in Ukraine to give it its due. So, um, yeah, it said it's going to divest itself of its shares. Quite how it manages to do that is going to be um, remains to be seen because we're not sure who would want to buy at stake. But that that will no doubt become evident. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the main impacts um, are sort of secondary. Um, we've got things like. The rising cost of fuel, um, which is going to lead to rising cost of oil, which is going to lead to rising bunker costs, and already has done. Um, Hapag Lloyd last week, week before, saying that you know, if a a fuel price goes up or bunker cost goes up by five hundred a ton, then that's another two and a half billion a year um, added to its cost just based on its consumption. So there is a risk of cost carriers going up as as things um, progress here. I guess another thing that we've seen is, I mean, we haven't seen any real increase in rates yet, um, in freight rates. Of anything, that dived down a little bit last week um, on the Asia-Europe trade, but um, there was a report out from the UNCTAD um, yesterday saying that, you know, there was a, a fear that there would be an increase in rates and certainly more pressure on ocean freight, um, particularly now that, you know, closed off the Belt and Road railway um, across um, Russia. So that's another 1.5 million TU that's got to find its way onto ships rather than to rail carriages.
1: Um, and of course, all this comes as we've had the latest lockdowns from China, which of course is going to have a significant impact on the existing
4: supply chain chaos that was already there. Yeah, I mean, you know. The, Described it before. I mean, Russia is just another log on the fire that is container shipping at the moment. Um, and I think that the bigger conflagration is what's happening in China. It's still hard to tell how big an impact this will will be. We've seen some sort of easing up today, um, but yeah, that that's likely any slowdown in logistics and port operations anything in china is going to have a far bigger impact on the wider container shipping market than um than anything in russia although the one thing i would say about russia is that there's a lot of talk about this being the I don't know the firestarter for for the next big recession. Um, you know, we've got energy prices going up. We've got a lot of things happening um, in, in global economics that are coming out of the Russia Ukraine conflict and. This is where we could further down the track start to see an impact on container shipping because the cost of heating your home and fueling your car is going up. There is just less money to be spent on consumer goods. Um, so there could be demand side pressure, which in some ways would be good, and that'll, you know, that will help ease up the supply chain chaos. But um but yeah, I think longer term that's the, the biggest threat. It's not so much an operational threat out of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, it's what happens to the global economy from what comes out of this conflict.
1: Okay, thanks, James. Um, moving on to uh, David Osler, our law and assurance editor. Last time we spoke, you were talking about war risk going through the roof in terms of the premiums that are being charged. Um, that's obviously continuing, but what else is happening in terms of uh, the insurance? Are we had any update in terms of the willingness of P&I clubs to continue to underwrite Russian business yet?
5: Well, the summary on war risk insurance is um, it went through the the roof last week and it's still through the roof. I mean, uh, pricing for ports in which vessels are still allowed to be to call, and of course that's not Ukrainian ports, but practically Southern Russia ports is in the 1% to 5% of hull value price bracket, more or less what history would lead you to expect from a, a full-on hot shooting war and um, compared to a fraction of a percentage point in normal times. Now, obviously, that's levied on hull value and varies widely depending on the value of the vessel. But uh, the very minimum, it'll be hundreds of thousands of dollars, if if not actually getting into seven-figure territory for most ships. So it's a material disincentive to call as as if the hostilities weren't material disincentive enough. Um, no further reports of price gouging, as some were claiming last week when one owner was charged a staggering 10% of whole value for a call, which may be as far as um, people who spent their careers writing this kind of business can recall, may well be an all-time high. Um, the other issue that um, we've got at the moment is um, p clubs who are deliberating on what their stance should be, but have chosen not to go public with a stance yet, at the international group level at least. I mean, this is mainly a headache for Skuld, the Norwegian club, which provides protection and indemnity cover for Sovcom Flot, the, the majority of the Sovcom fleet, which, of course, that company being the world's largest tanker operator by fleet size, that must be a very big line of business for them. I've had an email from uh, from the club's chief executive, Storla Hansen, today, um, which stopped short of specifying what impact sanctions have had so far, you know, if at all, but um, does insist that the club will comply with the letter of the rules um, in, in all respects, I mean, unsurprisingly. Um, and and you got to remember, of course, uh, Subconflat, I should have said, is already subject to these sanctions. It was one of the first targets picked out by the US Office of Foreign Assets Control as early as last month. And then finally, the other the other thing of note is I'm getting some feedback from cargo insurers that there's increasing reluctance in the markets to underwrite Russian export cargoes. Not because there's any reason legally or any sanctions in place that stop people from doing it, but it's another example of what has come to be called self-sanctioning, where Clubs take um, clubs or companies, indeed, take a proactive stance, get ahead of the curve, and pull out of the Russian market anyway, which we've seen with flags, classification societies, um, insurers, and reinsurers on some scale. So it, it's it's a moving situation, perhaps not as volatile as some of the physical shipping markets, but then again, insurance never is. But um, worth keeping an eye on, I think, Richard. Absolutely. And Bridget, um, like
1: many journalists, we are keeping up to date with the various statements and, and trying to work out what's going on uh, remotely. You are very much in the data trenches right now and have been looking at what's been happening on your screen using loiseless intelligence data to try and ascertain where things are or aren't moving and, and how uh, the uh, the shakeout is is happening in terms of people removing themselves or all things Russia. Give us a quick overview in terms of the key things you've been finding this week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think what's great about the data is it's able to shed light on the various elements of the Russia-Ukraine crisis as it unfolds. So we really we started off our coverage with the fact that the Kerch Strait had been blocked. Um, Obviously, that was several weeks ago on the 24th of of February. And after that, we didn't see any movement for, for nearly two weeks, and all of a sudden the numbers plunged. So we're sitting around the 200 um, range, and it plunged down to, to 190, which was quite, quite significant. Um, and what we noticed was that the vessels were actually moving out of the southern inlet and then up into the Sea of Azov, so returning um, back to Russian territory uh, for the first time. Since the invasion started, and while that was happening, we saw some of the congestion kind of easing off in the southern bit. But actually, Russia began sending trips down south from um, from various ports. So, talking about the uh, the port of Azov, Tag- Taganrog, and Rostov, all had vessels leaving, mostly for Turkey and mostly small trade. But again, still significant since there was widely a ban on, on commercial trade um, since um, since well since Putin made the call. Um so after that, I've been monitoring these numbers every day. So we've seen a, a massive spike in um, in congestion on the 11th actually of this month with 221 ships waiting. But um, it really thinned out over the weekend um, and it was back down to 99 um, on the 14th. And and since then, it's been between, I don't know, about 160, 180. So there's still a significant number of ships that are, that are stuck, but um, a bit of a bit of easing of congestion, but again, this is for Russian trade and mostly for Russian vessels.
1: So, I mean, in terms of the congestion in, in the Ukraine ports, that's pretty obvious, but one of the more interesting data insights that you've been looking at is the number of vessels leaving Russia since the invasion started. What's
0: happening there? Right. So, Departures from Russia to non-Russian ports, um, we see a, a massive spike in departures the day after the invasion, likely with um, well ships wanting to get out of the area, um, but then a fairly steady decline after the fact. So the weekly average the week before the invasion was about 37, dropping down to 35 the week before, and then down to 24 the week commencing of the 3rd of March. So as time goes on, we see less and less um, vessels leaving the area and um, international trade kind of grinding to a halt.
1: Thank you to Bridget in there, our expert data analyst on the Lawyers List team. Well, there we shall leave it for another week. There will be daily updates on all of these topics and more via lawyerslist.com, And don't forget to check out lawyerslistintelligence.com for details on how to sense check your compliance and get some peace of mind on your KYC due diligence. If ever there was a time to be delving deeper into the beneficial ownership links behind your counterparties, I would heartily recommend that now is the time to start demanding a little more detail before the regulators do. We will be back next week with more audio insights, but for now, thank you for listening and have a safe week.